I'm thinking about the marketplace and how fast the technology moves. When you put a digital product into the market, you have to make sure that you have a continuous improvement cycle. It's a living, breathing entity and yeah. you have to treat it as such. Mm. For me, they are the best people to hire and they are the leaders of the future. You know, they're, they're the individuals that will go and, and figure things out, believe that anything is possible. My least favourite phrases in a business is, well, this is the way we've always done it. <laughs> yes. um, and you need those change makers. Yeah. I once had a boss that told me that I wouldn't get to board level because I didn't have a degree from a red brick university. And so you can imagine somebody who has worked so hard to break those generational barriers, um, to work three jobs to pay for themselves to go to university. Mm. And it, you get a degree, but that degree still isn't good enough. Welcome to the Business Sense podcast. I'm Gary Crosby. This is the podcast where we make sense of the business journey by talking to owners about what they've learned along the way. Let's jump into today's episode. Candice, thanks for joining me on the Business Sense podcast this morning. No problem. I am anticipating lots of twists and turns in this, uh, this conversation, but um, let's just start. Give the, give the viewers a bit of context. Tell us what you're doing now. Of course, yeah. So I am the owner and founder of a startup about 18 months old. It's called The Digital Type. Mm -hmm. um, and we offer digital training and recruitment. And the whole purpose of the business is to just really help people become brilliant in mm -hmm. the digital space, um, regardless of what that means. So it might mean that sometimes we only recruit for a business. We help them build a really great kick-ass team mm -hmm. um, uh, so that you know that they can win. I think you win through having the right people in a yeah. business. Um, or we can help train. Um, and the ultimate goal is to become... Um, the provider of choice for delivering digital marketing and digital product apprenticeships um, in the UK. Mm. Uh, but we do have some way to go to get to that point. Yeah, we, I definitely want to talk to you about the apprenticeships when, when, uh, when we get to that point. But I'm thinking about the marketplace and how fast the technology moves, you know, from a, from a perspective of recruiting and training people. How do you keep pace with the technology? Uh, it's a really good question. And I think I look at training people in the same way that I look at building a product. So mm. I think when you put a digital product into the market, you have to make sure that you have a continuous improvement cycle. It's a living, breathing entity and yeah. you have to treat it as such. And I think that's the same with um, skills. I think, you know, businesses hire people with a skill set. And if they don't have that continuous improvement plan in place, mm. that skill set over time dwindles. And so our model just allows the support for businesses to, to enable us to d help with that continuous improvement, sometimes in a light touch way, sometimes just mentoring and coaching and just making mm. sure that mindset's in the right place, um, but also to make sure the skills are sharp. Mm -hmm. And the mindset question is, is a good one because when I speak to, to my clients and they talk about recruiting, often they say, I'm going, to, I'm going to recruit on attitude. And I accept that there are you know skills I've got to have in my business, but if I get somebody with a really good attitude, how do you train that into a, a young apprentice? So, so I'm a big believer in hire for attitude, hire for curiosity. I think there mm. are certain behaviors that you can identify in people through a recruitment process where you know whether they're going to be go-getters. Are they somebody who, yeah. you know, you can ask them a question and they will go and figure out how. And mm. that's a real skill in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. To some degree, I'm not sure you can teach that at that point. I think maybe in younger years, you can teach some of those behavioral skills. Um, by the time you're in your second or third job, can I, you know, try and 
instill curiosity into you I, I don't actually don't know the answer to that question mm. um I believe that if you have the right foundation i.e somebody is enthusiastic they're curious they're willing they're happy to roll their sleeves up and they're bright mm-hmm. um I think you can teach people most things in terms of the skill set itself but behaviors are an interesting mm. one um, and they are something that I look for I hire for fit I hire for behaviors mm-hmm. And you mentioned curiosity. I mean, I, I think um, Stephen Covey in his Seven Habits, he talks that the number one habit is be proactive. And it's the same sort of thing, isn't it? Really, it's not. It's not that sense of sitting still and just watching what's happening around you, but being proactive and being curious and and, and trying to find the next step for yourself. Absolutely, and it, mm. it's it's a skill that the majority of the workforce actually don't have. Mm. Um, a lot of people are happy to go into a role. And be solid performers. And actually, you need those as well. So, you know, it isn't about one one route is right or wrong. Uh, but I think curiosity, mm-hmm. being proactive, figuring out how, if you don't know the answer to the question, knowing how to find it or or having the willing to go and find the answer. Mm. For me, they are the best people to hire and they are the leaders of the future. You know, they're... they're they're the individuals that will go and, and figure things out, believe that anything is possible. Mm. Um, and I think that is all a mindset. I think, you know, one of my least favorite phrases in a business is, well, this is the way we've always done it. <laughs> yes. um, and you need those change makers yes. who I think, or I found through my experience, and there's no science behind it, but through my experience, that it is people with a curious mind. It's people who want to ask, well, why? You know, why mm. do we do it that way? Yeah. And really interrogate a topic and not just accept the status quo. Mm. How could we do it better? Absolutely. Yeah. So you've had a successful career. Um, and um, I, I know you've worked for big companies like Nando's and Green King. And I think you said to me that you had risen to director level uh, in Green King in record time. Um, where did that drive come from? Um, so thank you, by the way, for saying it's a successful career, because I still look back and think, you know, is it? And, and, and it is. And I think that's a mindset in, in and of itself. Um, so I am from a very working class background. Um, I remember from a young age just having what I call fire in the belly, So Mm. I can't tell you where it came from, why it was there, but I felt this just fire to want to be more, to want to be better than Mm. what I saw around me and and what I was told Mm. I was meant to become. And, you know, as I did well, so I was the first in my family to ever do a degree, uh, kind of breaking through those generational barriers. And, Mm. And I started getting validation because of that. I started getting people saying, that's amazing, well done. And I think I became slightly addicted almost to the external validation that you get from Mm. achieving because, you know, we're led to believe that climbing up the career ladder, that's real success. And and that's what we're all kind Mm. of aiming for. And so I think I just had this focus on, um, wanting to do more, wanting to be more, um, I knew I wanted to be a director by the time I was 35. Mm. I was hired by Green King at the age of 34, um, youngest director by quite some way um, in that business. Um, yeah, I, I, I just think I was driven by achievement. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's funny because we, we talked before about um, fixed mindset versus growth mindset. And sometimes I think, you know, particularly young people get told this is how life is going to be. You know, you're going to go to school, you're going to pass some exams, you're going to maybe go to university or not. You're going to uh, get a job and get a car and get a house and find a partner and have a family and all that sort of stuff. But the the growth mindset is very different, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And um, obviously when I was um, 
doing my GCSEs A-levels, I, I didn't know fixed versus growth mindset. Mm. But I did know that I was told by, by teachers, by senior figures around me, that people like me didn't mm. go on to achieve success. Um, wow. People like me didn't go to university. And I remember that ignited a fire. Mm. Um, but I think your, your question around fixed versus growth mindset, absolutely. If we're told that that is what we are and what we become, mm. particularly at a young age, that remains quite deep rooted in us. I think, mm. you know, I constantly have to work at a growth mindset. I absolutely have one, but it's something that I always challenge myself on. Mm. Um, because I think, you know, even as you climb the ranks in your career, sometimes you can get comfortable and you have to continuously push yourself to think in different ways if you want to achieve more. You know, mm. some people are, are happy um, to get to a certain level and, and stay there. I'm not one of those people. And I think that's why I probably broke out of um, the corporate world to start my own business. I think that mm. growth mindset lends itself very well to an entrepreneurial spirit. Mm. Yeah. That's really interesting because you've got that ambition and drive. You've got that growth mindset. You've got that pressing ahead in the corporate career. I guess you must have faced quite a few challenges along the way. Many. Um, they're, they're not things that um, I've spoken about publicly um, in the past. I'm happy to do so um, in this conversation. Um, but yeah, I mean, during that time, I faced battles with social inequality. So, you know, my, my background, mm. um, my business is very much built on social mobility and, and making sure that we're given opportunity to all, regardless mm. of your background, your race, your gender, um, et cetera. Um, but I did face um, adversity in business as, as a result of that. You know, I, I once had a boss that told me that I wouldn't get to board level because I didn't have a degree from a red brick university. Um, and so you can imagine somebody who has worked so hard to break those generational barriers, um, to work three jobs, to pay for themselves, to go to university mm. and it, you get a degree, but that degree still isn't good enough. You know, mm. you're, you're still mm. on the back foot in terms of what's expected at, at senior levels in, in corporate businesses. So I think that that's one huge challenge that, that, you know, I've really had to work through because, mm. you know, I've experienced lots of backhanded comments around people from working class backgrounds. Um, because generally you find mm. in big corporate businesses, and this is generally, there are obviously um, uh, other um, circumstances, but generally you find people come from certain backgrounds as they rise to those yeah. levels. Yeah. Um, and so I guess I felt like an alien for a lot of my career. And oh, yeah. I really had to do a lot of work to recognize that it's okay to be authentically you. It's okay to perhaps be slightly different in terms of your thinking, in terms of how you speak, what you wear, how you behave, mm. as long as you step into that and as long as you're comfortable that you are authentically yourself. Mm. I remember all the fuss around um, Alex Scott. I don't know if you remember this a couple of years ago. Uh, she's the, the former footballer. Oh. And when, when she got the job on the BBC, everyone was you know, commenting on how she was speaking and the fact that she clipped the end of her words or whatever it was, completely irrelevant, I think. But it's interesting that people somehow resented that success that she'd had and piled in to give their commentary on, on you know, how she was speaking. Yeah, I mean, I've I've certainly heard, I mean, mm. I haven't experienced that personally, but I've certainly heard cases like that in the businesses I've worked in where mm. people have been told that they should potentially change their northern accents um if they want to be yeah. um successful in the business which is quite frankly is ludicrous and and look uh, 
you know, there is no way I can sit here and say that businesses will accept everybody for who they are. We are certainly not in that space or in that world. But I have found that my real power is by just being authentically me and I will find the right businesses for me, the Mm. right places for me. Um, And actually more, more peace of mind as well when you're not trying to be something that you know, businesses or other people want you to be, but yeah. you are who you are. And, you know, um, th- there are times where I've been in a board meeting and I haven't understood what the person is saying. They are they are speaking, you know, they are saying words <laughs> that I just don't know what they are. <laughs> um, and I've had to write them down and, and Google them afterwards. And do you know what? That, that's perfectly fine because I've got the curious mind and I'm learning. And I think if you reposition it to from oh my goodness I don't know what I'm doing and someone's going to catch me out to actually that was a chance to learn and you know now I understand and in the next conversation I can be more present and be more Mm. vocal so Mm. I think mindset again is is really key even when you face adversity um, Mm. in any aspect of your life but in business in particular yeah I agree I agree um, I wanted to pick up on a couple of things that you, you highlighted there talking about your own career. One was um, social mobility. So let's just give me your definition of social mobility and let's explore that for a, for a minute of or course. two. Of course. So um, this is a topic very close to my heart. Um, you know, as, as I've already mentioned, growing up in a working class uh, family, um, I think you, you don't necessarily recognize that when you're younger. You know, I, I was no. happy. No. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of knew we were poor because there were lots of arguments about money. Um, we had a lot of bailiffs at the door. You know, there right. were times where, um, you know, we, we were close to losing the house. And, you know, it was it was a, it could be a scary, scary time. Mm. Um, so I knew about kind of money and poor versus rich at quite a young age, I, I suppose. Um, but that didn't hold me back. Um and then I guess I've become more and more aware of class as I've gone through and, and climbed up the corporate ladder. Um, you know, people making comments around poor people, um, mm. even when they were customers of the business, people mm. making comments around um, how people look, what they wear, etc., all related to class. And my curious mind led me to... Um, you know, doing doing some research in this space and, and really looking into what, what social mobility meant, what class meant. Mm. And I just hadn't recognized how big the gap is in terms of diversity and in, in social class in, in businesses. Mm. So mm. I think businesses have done a good job. I wouldn't say a great job, but I think businesses are doing a good job at looking at diversity in terms of things that they can see. So there yeah. are more women yeah. on boards. There mm-hmm. are more people from ethnic backgrounds on boards. But actually where I think businesses are failing or need to do better is that diversity of thinking. So people mm. from different classes, different mm. backgrounds. But, um, it, but if we just, if, we'll definitely come to that. But, but uh, I'm, I'm interested in this idea of social mobility from the perspective of if you're going to, to better yourself, let's use that that sort of phraseology, or you're going to move through the social stratas as a result yeah. of the choices that you make in life. I guess there are some good things as a result of that, um, but there could be some, you know, not so good things. I mean, I, th- I think it comes down to the individual. So, um, you know, I have a lot of conversations with people where they say, but, you know, you should be really proud to be working class and, you know, why are you trying to, to do mm-hmm. better? And I think I think that you can be both. So yeah. I'm extraordinarily yeah. proud of where I come from, but that has taken time. 
I held a lot of shame and embarrassment around that as, as I was growing up. Right. Um, so I think you know, for me, had I not had come from the background that I came from, I'm not sure that fire in my belly that I described would, would necessarily be there. Yeah. You know, that striving yeah, yeah. to achieve, to be better, to prove someone or something wrong. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's all driven from, from my background. So I think that there are positives that come from having a strong work ethic. Yeah. I'm certainly not saying that people from other backgrounds don't have that, but, but from my perspective and, and my experience, it was it was seeing the pathways of other people around me mm. that really gave me this fire to, to want to achieve more. And, and no matter how, you know, mm. I, I was just going to go after it. And if someone told me no, I was going to find somebody else who would tell me yes. So that, mm. that, was, that was always my approach. I think the bad parts that come from trying to um, push through social mobility is, is opportunity. Mm. Um, you know, I think... You know, I, I use the phrase being on the back foot a lot in, in everything that I talk about regarding social mobility. Yeah. And I think that's true whether you're at the start of your journey or whether you're, you've, you've you know, broken down those generational barriers like, yeah. like, like I have. Um, and I think the challenge is, you know, I, I think sometimes it's financial. So, you know, access to world-class education just isn't there for yep. everyone. Mm -hmm. I am a big believer in education. I think, you know, education is the 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 change the the individuals need in mm. in themselves and in the world um but we don't all have access to that um mm. and if i think about my experience with my degree you know i i i had to work three jobs and um study for my degree whereas actually a lot of my peers were out <laughs> drinking every <laughs> night yeah. um and their parents were funding their degree so i think yeah. It's access to resources that is the main challenge for me. And, and I think that's the case regardless of where you are in that journey. I'm wondering whether or not, you know, social mobility and the idea that you're climbing um, the, the social ladder as well as the corporate ladder, um, I guess in, the, in a way it, it ends up, it can dislocate families. You can become separate from your families. And I wonder if at any point during that process, you know, it's possible to feel slightly out of place, that you feel like you've left your... The, the core part of what you are I don't, I don't know I, I'm I'm, cu I'm just curious to, to explore that I think definitely I think I held a lot of guilt as well so mm. as I did um, become quite financially secure and, and stable throughout my career and, and bought a big house and I still watch the ones that I love around me suffer and mm. um, struggle um, and I felt that it was my responsibility to to help and support them. Yeah. So all of a sudden yeah. I felt like I was, you know, I'm the youngest in the family, but I felt like it was my responsibility to support um, when mm. other people couldn't pay their, their rent or, mm. you know, when when they didn't have access to, to things that they needed. And, you know, I've had to do a lot of work around that guilt and, and accepting that it is okay to be very proudly working class, yeah. but to also become who you were meant to be yeah. and that isn't because i mean i would still consider myself working class actually mm. it's the system that wouldn't consider mm. me working class but if you asked me mm. where i consider myself in the class system I'm, you know i'm yeah. working class and very mm. proudly so uh, and let, let, let's explore the um the, the difference in thinking as well in the corporate environment because i do think that is is big we were talking the other day weren't we about uh, rebel ideas and that whole concept so um I often see in businesses that business owners surround themselves with people who 
you know, look a bit like them, dress a bit like them, and certainly think a bit like them. In terms of that, what have you experienced in your corporate career? Oh, gosh, exactly that. So I think, you know, generally boards are becoming more diverse. I have seen that. And Mm. I think we have to give credit to businesses that are trying to to push that agenda. Is it enough? Definitely not. Um, And as I mentioned, I think, you know, they're doing a good job in the things that they can see. Mm. So physical disability, gender, um, ethnicity, et cetera. You look at boards in a lot of businesses and you'd go, wow, this is a diverse board. And and with an an underlying assumption that that means they are a diverse group of thinkers. Correct. Which is not always the case. And that is the challenge. Um, So, you know, I'm very passionate about diversity of thinking. Mm. Um, I think, you know, ultimately those boards that we've just described, they are very similar thinkers just in different bodies. And I think that's quite dangerous because mm. you, then you get no challenge, you get no, uh, you, you, you know, you, you don't get um, diversity of thinking in terms of uh, your customers. So, mm. you know, if you do have different classes of customers, how do you make sure that you're uh, thinking about products and ideas that are going to accommodate those individuals? Um, but I think it's very hard when you can't see it. I mean, I'm not an expert on neurodiversity, but I think that's in the same category for me as yeah, yeah. Um, social mobility and, and, and class. It's just how do we break down those biases around you know a cv around somebody having mm. to have a degree or i mean i saw a job advert the other day which was a real job advert even though a lot of people told me on linkedin it wasn't it was <laughs> it was in the guardian mm-hmm. um but they were asking for an oxbridge graduate for this role and i mean i've never seen a less inclusive <laughs> job advert in my life yeah. and um you know it, it, it really riled me but through my recruitment experience Now, I have great conversations with businesses saying, yes, you know, we want diversity. We absolutely want to bring in people from different educational backgrounds. Oh, but can they just have a degree? Yes. You know, and and although access to degrees is, is, you know, probably greater than it has been in the past, I won't get into the debt conversation for young people because I will go (laughs) off on a tangent. Um, You know, it's still not accessible for everyone. And it also still isn't the right route for everyone. Mm. So so I think, you know, diversity of thinking on boards, really progressive businesses, if businesses really want to succeed, um, if businesses want to ensure that competitors don't come in and kill their business models, they need to start thinking about that space, not just for diversity, mm. but for their own business model. Mm. And it's like, you know, surrounding yourself with people who see the world from a different frame of reference. Exactly that. You know, so they... And I think the people who do that, that I know, are, are certainly um, willing to be challenged. And that probably is the, the number one starting point. Yeah. I, I'm happy to sit around a table with a group of people who are going to, you know, one of them is going to put their hand up and say, I think we should be looking at this from a different perspective. Um, and and I, that may be generations away. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think it comes back to mindset. So spoken about growth mindset, mm. spoken about fixed mindset, I think. You know, um, one of the things we discussed the other day about paradox mindset, and I think the ability to put yourself in different perspectives and, Mm. um, you know, whether that's a combination of growth mindset with, you know, the the ability to understand that it doesn't have to be, you know, um, and or it can be both. Yes. Um, and And I think that's a really important progression for businesses to understand you don't need a board of people that all agree and say yes you know let's go down that route (laughs) you need different perspectives 
And actually there isn't, there shouldn't be a right or wrong, a, a yes or no. There should be, what's the combination of, of perspectives? And, you know, I, I, I hope that as a leader, I really have the ability to put myself in different shoes. But that's hard because we all come with a set of bias. We do. Uh, biases. Absolutely so, we do, yes. So it is difficult. And I think you have to be mindful and willing to put yourself in those scenarios. But that comes from seeking opinions from other people who might understand that perspective more than yourself. Mm. And being willing to accept those opinions and, and maybe act upon them, even if you know in your own core, you're not feeling it quite the way that uh, it's been put across. Definitely. Yeah. Interesting. So I want to pick up on the uh, apprentices. I know your company's changing uh, as you look towards becoming accredited in that particular area. But let's let's start with the marketplace first. Yeah. What is the market looking for from its young digital apprentices? Yeah. yeah. So, so what I've seen from working with apprentice, apprentices and apprenticeships over my career, and, and just to share a bit of context and background, I've designed and delivered apprenticeships for you know many mm. of the businesses that I've worked for. Right. and used external providers to accredit those and support them. And what I found so fascinating was there was a huge disconnect between what the external providers were delivering in mm -hmm. terms of the learning and the skills that were actually needed for those individuals to thrive in the job. Yeah. And so we did a lot of work, um, particularly at one of the big businesses that I worked for, around ensuring that the quality of skill set was there. And it was over and above what was expected to tick the boxes to say, yes, they are mm. accredited. I think apprenticeships are incredible because they give young people hands-on experience around, you know, um, experts in the industry. And had I had known about those when I were younger, mm -hmm. I would not have gone to university and got myself into a lot of debt um, for a degree um, and then come out of university having to find a job and, and start at the bottom. So yeah. I yeah. think they're incredible um, in terms of giving young people opportunities. But the big um advantage for me if they are delivered in a quality way is that it reconnects education to the workplace mm. and i think over time what mm. has happened is we teach a curriculum mm -hmm. in school workplaces are progressing and the skill sets just aren't matching up yeah so i think it's sure. this incredible opportunity for young people to get that hands-on experience, but businesses to mold grassroots talent. Hopefully at, at that age, they don't come with lots of baggage around, well, we've always done it this way. Um, <laughs> so so there's a real opportunity to really mm. refresh the way that we train the, the young workforce. And actually apprenticeships aren't just for young people, they're for career changers, career switchers, you know, people who want to, yeah, absolutely. So yeah. there Mature is- Mature apprenticeships. Yeah, so there is, um, I mean, it is more difficult to get access to funding, um, but I think with the um, government levy, there is access to reskilling mm -hmm. um, team members within the business. And it, and, and what the, the move in apprenticeships at the moment is towards quality and they're really mm. pushing how do we make sure that these young people have the right skills how do we ensure that this grassroots talent is you know mm. um mm. game changing for for businesses and it's cost effective resource for businesses so i think it's a win-win all round for the learner for the business and for our economy overall in the future Mm. And, and and getting that match right between what the companies need in their environment and the output from the apprenticeships, I guess that's a never-ending, uh, shifting 
um, story. But in your company, how are you be- going to set this up? How, how are we looking to produce these digital apprenticeships? Yeah, of course. So um, we will only offer specialist digital apprenticeships. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a new apprenticeship coming into the market around digital product. Um, okay. I've spent my career in that space. So my unique selling point is I really understand the skills required. And I work mm. with partners through recruitment who are telling me every day, what they require from people that I'm recruiting for them. Mm. Um, As I build the network to deliver the apprenticeships, once we're accredited, um, I will draw upon expertise in that network to deliver the quality of um, uh, learning that that is required. So again, I think we're further um, closing that gap between what businesses expect and what they don't. I don't see my business in the future offering a uh, apprenticeship in finance for example we are right. not specialists in that space and um, we really want to be known for our specialism and I have loved digital throughout my career um, it isn't going to be right for every single young learner but if you look at every single business some form of digital knowledge is required and so that really excites me in terms of the the breadth mm-hmm. And the the courses that you're going to provide, you said that the the um, accreditation is going to be a bit of a struggle. Just just talk me through that. What, what's actually required for you to be able to produce an accredited apprentice? Yeah, yeah. So um, I mean, there is a a lot of rigor around the process, which, process which I think is absolutely right mm-hmm. because ultimately we are accrediting um, apprenticeships for young learners, and and I think you know that the government wants to ensure that the quality is there, and and, and rightly so. So, mm. um, at the moment, we are going through a process to be off qual um, recognised. So off qual okay. recognised, you know, every single accreditation out there in terms of GCSEs, A levels, etc. It's a rigorous process. We have to prove that we can deliver. Um, the quality for the the, the learners. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to have the right policies in place to make sure that, you know, if, if somebody fails first time, how do we make sure that they get through that process? Um, and, and that will only allow us to be endpoint assessors, actually. So that won't allow us to deliver the actual apprenticeship. The second part to what we're doing, um, it used to be ROAPT, but it's just become APAR. Um, and we have to go through that process to be recognized as a provider of, a, of oh, apprenticeship of the training of the training yeah, itself okay. um we're going for the off-qual accreditation first because we want to learn as we go we want to look at what other people are doing in the market mm. and make sure that our quality is there that we're absolutely in line with that um, but once we are apar um recognized we'll be able to deliver to deliver the apprentice apprenticeships also that's the exciting part for us mm. i mean that's where we really come into our own in terms of we don't want to just tick some boxes. We really want to design exciting quality learning in that space and really connect um, the network that we have with with great young learners. And, and you know, for me, if there was one word uh, that would sum up what I want our apprenticeships to be known for in the future, it would be quality. Mm, mm. And I'm wondering, you know, based on what we talked about, the, the young people that are going to come into a course that's been designed by you, whether they're going to get fire in their belly and whether they're going to have a growth mindset and how you're going to push that, that curiosity, to use the word that came up at the start, into the courses. Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. It's something that I think about a lot in any training that we um, design. Um, you know, I'm a qualified um, coach myself and I really, really believe in, in coaching. And, mm. and so we do offer... Um, it's light touch, but we do offer coaching for even for people that we recruit for. We offer coaching throughout the process. Mm. You know, if you think about when somebody starts a new job, there's a lot of 
high stress there, maybe imposter syndrome, yeah. etc. And so we we do offer coaching as part of our service for that. Sorry, slight tangent, but I think we'll probably do something similar um, as we deliver our apprenticeships. How do we make sure that they have um, coaches around them, that they have the right mentors? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think it's difficult, as I've said at the start, to to instill those specific qualities into people i think when we're recruiting for these young people to come onto these programs that's probably something that we'll look for do, do we think they've they've got it in them you know mm. how much do they want mm. this yeah, yeah um you know because i think ultimately the quality of any learning experience is what the learner puts in oh. so yeah i agree i agree and that's got me thinking about you and your business and what comes next because you're you've got quite a few um different strands if you like yeah. in, in your business the consultancy and the apprenticeships and uh, the digital stuff and everything else um what's going to happen to to the digital type yeah it, it's a good question and i think you know i'm 18 months in to my startup mm. um i quit my corporate job i didn't know what i was going to do i just knew i was going to work for myself um and so i'd spent some time you know before i launched the business kind of figuring out well what am i good at what mm. what do i love what really ignites my passion and you know hopefully you can see that it, it's the coaching uh, and it's the training and it's um you know the apprenticeships yeah, and that, that's sure. the ultimate goal ambition but you know that that takes time to mm. achieve and so you know what we have is an ecosystem um and effectively the way that we work is you know i i will always love digital and digital transformation and i don't want to move too far away from what i have done mm. in my career yeah, to yeah. only train individuals to do that i want to stay sharp in in my own skill set mm. so broadly you know we will always continue to offer um digital transformation if a business has a tricky digital challenge that they don't want to go and spend millions with a big agency with but they yeah. just want somebody who really understands can get stuck in and dig into that that problem ultimately that tends to lead to we need people to mm. help us fix this and that's why the ecosystem is then well great we can help you recruit with for recruit. the right people that you need yeah. and actually if you want grassroots talent we also have access to that and we will in the future and mm. um, but that's the reason for the ecosystem and and you know so i think the digital type will always exist in its in a guise um now whether i end up making the apprenticeship part of the business separate in the future i i don't know but the mm. digital type for me is more about an essence and a feeling it's about actually anybody who wants to be in this space you're all our, you you're our type you know we don't want to discriminate against anybody regardless yeah. of your background regardless of whether you don't have the skills yet actually if if you want to be in this space and we can help you you're our type and you're part of this this club so it's it's a real ethos that, that mm. i built the business on uh, and just to finish off, uh, and uh, I, I think this is going to be a difficult question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> you know, you've got fire in your belly. We've seen the ambition and drive. You've talked about curiosity. How does Candice have to develop in the next few years to take the business forward? Yeah. Per, you know, personally. There is so much learning. Um, you know, I think being on a startup business journey is the biggest learning curve I've ever experienced in in mm. my career. And, and yeah. I've had some really steep <laughs> learning curves. Um, I think it comes back to the willingness to know that you will never know everything, that you will get things wrong. Mm. Um, you know, I have a coach. Um, I work with a psychologist regularly mm-hmm. um, because I do believe in, in you know, body, mind and soul. How do you keep yourself 
um, energized. Um, But the the, the biggest thing for me is, um, now I've had to do a lot of work on not being too hard on myself, that I will get things wrong Mm. daily. Don't don't we all? (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, daily. And I think once you can accept that and you don't allow that to become, you know, to overwhelm you, Mm. Um, no, I think, you know, it is, I think it's a willingness to learn. I think I will always have a coach. I will always develop my mindset. Um, I think everybody should have a coach. In fact, I'm, Mm. you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that if you truly want to be your best self, you have to have external support to do that. Or otherwise you're only going to be as good as what you know and what you think and feel. I think that challenge is key. And I'm extraordinarily lucky that, you know, some of the people who challenge me are people I really um, admire in business. And, you know, I have access to that that mm. network and they don't hold back. Mm. Yeah, my, my, my coach is uh, on the South Island of New Zealand. And uh, one of the things that he does on a regular basis during our coaching sessions is he will do this. I'll be like, <laughs> oh God. And when he does that, I know that I'm about to be challenged yeah. in a way that I uh, wouldn't expect. Um, yeah. Candice, that's been amazing. Thank you for sharing so many different aspects of uh, the business. For And it did twist and turn, didn't it, as we went through all the different subjects. <laughs> it did. So, um, thanks for spending some time with me on the Business Sense podcast today. No worries. Thank you. Thanks.